Good morning and welcome. It's that time. Yeah, once again, the Patriot Radio News Hour live on this Thursday. What a great day to be alive. Of course, let's face it, being alive beats the alternative. I'm Joe Jaquin, CEO of the Patriot Trading Group. Our toll-free number, 800-951-0592. The website at allamericangold.com. Make sure you're out there every day. Keep yourself in the know. Keep you all comfortably disturbed out there. And, you know, it's a really interesting world, isn't it? I never know what I'm going to find next when I wake up in the morning. It's like a surprise. You know, used to be for a long time. I I knew what to expect. I mean, you know, same boring thing. It's never boring anymore. Uh, Big news out of the White House this morning. Apparently... Uh, The negotiations with the Chinese are not going very well. And the Trump administration now saying they're going to hit China with a 25% tariff on $200 billion worth of products. Now, we knew the $200 billion number. That's been around for a while. But that was going to be a 10% tariff. Now going to 25%. We'll have to talk about that. Uh, we, we did have uh, really not a lot of economic data out today, uh, but but there's a bunch of things happening overseas that we need to pay attention to. Uh, another intervention again yesterday in the bond market by the Bank of Japan. We'll keep our eyes on that. Another bankruptcy. One of my favorite stores is going out of business. Well, I don't know if they're going out of business. They're shutting all their stores. Uh, Brookstone uh, closing all of their stores. They announced that today, saying uh, uh, no one's at the mall. You know, <laughs> which I don't. You know, I, I I get it. I I don't go to the mall. Not that I go to the mall a lot in my day, but I don't re I don't remember the last time I went to the mall. Um, and so anyway, another hundred empty mall locations for everybody out there. You know and. I was telling you, you know, our oldest son's getting ready to leave for for college, and I'm not going to lie to you. You know, me, me and my wife are having a hard time with it. You know, it, it's uh, I don't know, it's sad. Uh, I'm going to be lonely. You know, it. it uh, I don't know. It's just, but it's the way you know, way of life. And granted, it's so different from when uh, I was growing up. I'm pretty positive my parents couldn't wait for me to leave. Uh, and the feeling was pretty mutual, uh, but 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 you know it's a different time that we live in, and, and so we're 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 trying to do a bunch of stuff, you know, with with them because you know they're they're you know especially when they can drive the sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, they don't want to spend any time with you, right? They want to you know do their own thing, be with their friends, and so we're you know we're we're doing family dinners and game night and and last night we went to escape room uh i don't know if uh if you've heard of you know the room where where yeah yeah you don't really get locked in there but you got you go into this room and you got to solve all these clues and 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 try to escape within an hour you get an hour and the guy told us, well, you know, have you ever done it before? We're like, no. And he's like, well, you should probably do the easiest one. We we, we didn't. 
Uh, not that we did the, we didn't do the hardest one, but we did the the Hangover. It was called, you know, the Hangover movies. It was kind of a play on that, and you know, we we uh, we like really dumb comedy where you really don't have to think about it at all. Uh, I use all of my brain power here at work, and and I have none left. So dumb comedies relate to me, uh, but nobody they had told us that we were in there. Uh, we it was seven thirty was our escape room time. They told us nobody had made it out that day. Nobody had solved any of the puzzles that day. Fifty six minutes and twenty eight seconds it took us, and we we actually got out of the escape room. We were the first people of the day to do it. So I'm pretty proud of myself. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you, I, I was pretty awesome in there, and uh, we were able to find, you had to find a ring, uh, a car, car keys, and airline tickets, and all that stuff, but we did the, here, I guess here's my point, it was a lot of fun, so if you're looking for something to do, I was surprised, I didn't think it was going to be that fun, uh, but we did, we had a good time, we were the only ones in there, um, you know, you you could have had more people in there, but if you sign up, usually most people want to just do it with their little group. So it was just the four of us, uh, and it was fun. We did it. Uh, it was near our house, and we had a nice time. And, and uh, yeah, so I wanted to share that with you. If you're looking for something to do, try, try uh, the escape room. Um, it is funny. Here's the funny thing, though. They hear everything. So they hear everything you say. They're watching all of that stuff. So if you're if you're one of those families that's going to yell and scream at each other, they're going to hear it. So we are actually—I thought for sure there's going to be a lot of yelling uh, in our group, but we actually uh, we did pretty well. We did pretty well, and, and they give you—they help you. You know, I, I'll say this: uh, if because uh, there's like a monitor where the countdown clock is, and then. Uh, Every once in a while, they'll give you a clue, like because they'll, they'll notice that you're stuck, and, and they'll give you a clue to help you. And uh, without that, there's no way we wouldn't have gotten out. But uh, but they do that for everybody. So so if you're looking for something fun uh, that uh, may or may not cause uh, family uh, either coming together or being torn apart, try the escape room. Uh, we did the hangover one. They got a bunch of different ones, but uh, I think we'll do it again sometime in the future. We'll go for the hardest one the next time uh, and, and see how we do. Uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about what happened at the Japanese bond auction and what's up with all these tariffs. That and much more next. 800-951-0592. That is our toll-free number. Yesterday, uh, the Bank of Japan. So, you know, as we know, right, all of the uh, governments of the world, they're out there issuing debt, and they have their treasury auctions. And, and of course, in Japan, we know that they're the, the largest buyer ever of... Uh, their own debt, and they own pretty much uh, most of their own stock market, and it's really kind of gotten almost comical. Uh, but things are getting a little more interesting. Yesterday, they had a, an auction, a bond auction, and the Bank of Japan, normally how they do it is they have 
they have the auction and they have all of the companies that are authorized to sell the bonds there um, and they they kind of go through this this exercise of they pretend to buy them and then they after the auction they turn around and sell them back to the Bank of Japan uh, but so that way the Bank of Japan can say well we really technically didn't buy it right because somehow that's better right it, it it's like like the Social Security trust fund right it, it's kind of the same thing. You know, there's no money in it, right? There is no trust fund. It, it, it's just IOUs. Well, the Bank of Japan, they go through the same thing, where they don't want to actually uh, be the buyer of the official auction. But what they will do is after the auction's over, they'll turn around and buy them from whoever, you know, one of the uh, one of the banks that is an authorized dealer for, for the bond. Yesterday... They had a problem. There was enough bidders, okay? So they had enough people, you know, bidding to cover the debt. The problem was none of them wanted to accept the low rate. In other words, hey, we'll, we'll buy it. But the the bribe, if you will, right? We want we want some interest, right? The Bank of Japan doesn't like to pay any interest, right? So they wanted interest, and the bank was going to be forced to make a bunch of margin calls. Because you got to remember, when people buy treasuries, and, and and I know a lot of you are like, ah, it's so complicated. I don't understand it. No, you do. It's not that complicated. They got to buy them, and then they got to hedge. You know, everybody, all these big because you're, you're talking about billions and billions of dollars, right? It's not like they're coming in there and and, and buying five shares of, of Facebook or something like this. You got to hedge it. And essentially, what was happening was they were like, "Listen, we don't want to accept this rate. We'll, we'll buy it." We'll pretend to buy it, but you need to pay us a higher rate because when we go to hedge it and turn around and sell it back to the Bank of Japan, right, we want to make some money. So the Bank of Japan was uh, was was looking at this and saying, oh my, if we fill the orders at these higher rates, and by the way, the higher rates, it didn't even get up to two-tenths of a percent. They were about 1.35, um, one point, I'm sorry, point, <laughs> 135, right? It was a tenth of a percent, point 0.135, that they were going to be forced to make a bunch of margin calls on a bunch of the other bonds that people had bought. And so the central bank actually had to step in to the actual auction itself to buy the bonds to ensure that margin calls didn't have to be made uh, at their debt auction. So just something, you know, one more thing to, to put into your mind. Uh, if you go out to allamericangold.com this morning, uh, the lead article, could it be Japan that causes the, the bow to break? And remember, here's the biggest issue that we have, right? We want things to go well. I would love for Wall Street to be 
at twenty five thousand, and I could feel and and want and I want to feel good about it. It's at twenty five thousand, but I already but I know I don't feel good about it because we've missed priced debt, and the central banks have done it on purpose. And of course, what are stocks? They're debt instruments, and you think about all the things that they want you to have your money in. Right? What do they want you to do? They want first of all, they want all your money in the bank. Then they want you to have your four hundred one k's, right? And they want you to have they want you to buy stocks. They they want you to do your day trading, your money market accounts, your annuities, right? Your uh, your IRAs, your money market, your four hundred one k's, the annuities, your stocks, your bonds, you name it. CDs. Uh, I know I know I'm missing them, but you know what I'm talking about. All of those, without exception, these are debt instruments. And the central banks have mispriced the debt. And how have they mispriced it? Are they trying to make the debt appear more or less attractive. And what I mean by that is, are they mispricing it by saying, well, this is super, super risky? Nope. Right? Because look at the Bank of Japan. They can't afford for to pay one and, uh, a, a tenth and a half of a, of a percent in interest. They can't have that. And that would cause mar- mar- margin calls, right? And, and who's going to get the margin calls? Right. Well, in Japan, we know exactly who it's going to be. Right? <laughs> Could you imagine them having to get a margin call on themselves? That would be <laughs> that. That would be fantastic. And you sit there and you start thinking about right. They're making it appear more attractive, if you will, than it should be. Because what is a debt instrument? Right? A debt. It's risk. Right? You're, you're making an assumption on how big is the risk. And, and, and you're sitting there and you're thinking about a country like Japan that's got more, their central bank holds more debt than their entire GDP of the nation, right? And they're trying to act like there's no risk. Which just means all of the debt instruments out there are all overpriced. And this is kind of what one of the big problems that the central bank is having because right now, right, we've got this strong dollar. It's killing, uh, it, it's killing everybody out there. You can't have the strong dollar. Uh, the debt is exploding here, right? The the treasury now can't even go ninety days anymore without having to come out and say we need another debt instrument to to try to take care of all of the issuance that we need to deal with. And then this morning, of course, we got the trade war. And and the Chinese have been very, you know, and we knew this was going to be the tough one, right, because they got nothing to lose. And they're out there, and today the president announced that, hey, you know what, we're going to do $200 billion, 25%, and they, they dusted off Wilbur Ross, and they had him out on TV this morning. By the way, Wilbur Ross is our Commerce Secretary, so he's the guy uh, – that's in charge of trade, if you will, 
and he's downplaying the effects of this. And he said on TV, now remember, this is the same guy that, remember the first $50 billion. I don't know if you remember. Uh, that was the steel and aluminum stuff. And, and he came out on TV, and he was holding the can of Campbell's soup, and, and, and was saying, hey, it only increases the cost of a Campbell's soup can by by two pennies, and it's not a big deal. And, of course, instead of about Coke and Pepsi, of course, all of them what? Uh, yeah, Wilberon doesn't know what he's talking about. And all of them, matter of fact, Coke, Pepsi, Campbell, they all announced price increases to the consumer uh, after releasing earnings last week. But here's what he said uh, this morning. If these tariffs cut into margins, now I don't know where the if is, right? Obviously it will. Companies are just going to pass that on, and that means raising prices, and it means higher prices for all sorts of stuff for the American people and the American consumer, and that's going to mean inflation, right? This was this was the question posed to Wilbur Roth. So do you worry that all of this, well, good intended, okay, so she acknowledges, hey, it's good intended, is going to impact the, uh, the economy negatively and wipe away what you've been able to achieve from the tax cuts and the rolling back of regulation. So that was the question posed to Wilbur Roth on the $200 billion being hit with a 25% tariff, uh, which essentially, you know, that's where you get the $50 billion, right? So so think about this, right? Apple's got a phone. It's $1,000. I mean, it's made in China. I guess, does that phone now become 1250 bucks? I mean, I, I, I think it does. I, I don't know, but, you know, I'm just, you know, doing some math here. He, here was his response. Well, let's put it into arithmetic perspective. So he's pulling a double, right? Because what do I always say? Let's do math. I can do math. Wilbur Ross says, hey, listen, I can do math. 25% on $200 billion, if it comes to pass, is $50 billion a year on an $18 trillion economy, which I thought was interesting. The economy is only $18 trillion. Uh, That's a lot less than what they've been telling us. They're telling us the, the economy uh, is $20 trillion. So maybe... <laughs> Maybe maybe you just uh, made a mistake, or maybe it really is only eighteen trillion, but they padded a couple trillion. You know, eh, let's throw a couple trillion of seasonal adjustments on there. Nobody will know. I, I you know, that'd be my guess. But but anyway, that's only three tenths of one percent. It's not something that's going to be cataclysmic, he said. And I guess. He's right, if you view it that way. I guess here's the the issue. If you have to buy any of these products that come from China, which, let's face it, we buy a lot of them, 
you're going to be hit with an oversized amount of the issue. So it's going to be interesting. I thought that was an interesting response to how the how Wilbur Ross is looking at eh, companies. They're going to have to pay more. They're going to raise the price on the American people, and they're just going to have to deal with it because it's not that big of a deal. There you go. Uh, immediately following that. China has announced that they are going to respond. But before they do, I want to bring up one thing because we haven't talked about it in a while. So I started thinking about this. And and I was like, you know, China's devalued. Matter of fact, China's currency hit a new low today. Not not shockingly, right? What did they do? Immediately now, uh, they, they've lowered the value uh, of, of their currency. But one of the things I was wondering was, I wonder how their oil contracts are doing. Because, you know, that's in Renimbi. I wonder if a lot of the people out there, a lot of the countries and the players out there are are backing away. Right? Logically, in my mind anyway, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about it, I'm like, you know, if we've got the upper hand here, I would think that their oil future contracts, the volume would probably be off quite a bit. I'm going to tell you what's happening there when we return. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. President Ronald Reagan found out in 1986 that granting amnesty to illegal immigrants only serves to incentivize more illegal immigration. It does nothing to solve the problem. After he publicly denounced the amnesty bill in June, President Trump was quickly courted by leadership with a new compromise bill that included funding of a border wall to the tune of $25 billion. But funding a wall is not the same as building a wall. Liberals run to the courts immediately to block almost anything Trump does on immigration. Before the ink could dry on such a bill, even if it were to pass the Senate intact, liberals would file suit to obtain injunctions blocking the construction of a wall. They would sue in predictively activist jurisdictions such as San Francisco and Hawaii, where multiple injunctions have already been issued to block Trump's executive orders that were tame compared with a border wall. Congress has the authority to strip federal courts of jurisdiction and has done so on many occasions. As explained by Phyllis Schlafly in her classic book, The Supremacists, former Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle, a Democrat, once stripped jurisdiction from federal courts over challenges to brush clearing in his home state. Before President Trump signs any immigration bill, he should insist on broad jurisdiction stripping provisions. If federal courts are allowed to wield authority over the construction of a border wall, then multiple federal judges, appointed by Clinton or Obama, will surely enjoin its construction. Reasons given will range from environmentalism to non-existent prejudices. Fortunately, few Republicans who want to win re-election will cross President Trump at this point, after one tweet sank never-Trumper Congressman Mark Sanford in his own primary in South Carolina. There is no reason for Trump to cave into Republicans at this point. 
lame duck House Speaker Paul Ryan, who's stepping down at the age of only 48 rather than fight for the Trump agenda, has long given priority to the agenda of the pro-illegal immigration lobbyists. But their goals are not those of the American people who elected Trump as president. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Can activist judges be stopped, or will they continue to overturn laws with no regard for the people? Connect with us at phyllisschlafly.com to hear alerts on rulings made by never-elected supremacist judges and to share your viewpoint. That's phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Eight hundred nine five one zero five nine two. I'm confused. Is it a big deal or is it not a big deal? Right? Wilbur Ross came out on TV said, "Ah, it's not a big deal. It's only you know three tenths of one percent on an eighteen trillion dollar economy." And um, just didn't know the economy shrunk that much that it was down to eighteen trillion. But but neither here nor there. If it wasn't that big of a deal, why haven't we done it before? Right? Why? Why? I, you know, I I don't know. I, I obviously somebody's not being truthful. Right? Either uh, all of the people on the idiot box, and it could be them. Right? Because let's face it. Right? These multinational companies, which is what the Dow is, right? They want to make as much money as possible. So maybe they've overstated how important it is. And, and or right or Wilbur Ross just came out and said, ah, you know. Duh. We don't care. It's going to be a little bit, you know, you, you pay a little more, but it's not, on the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. But here it is. Here's the problem with with that logic and why I think uh, Wilbur Ross may be the one that's not right. If you've got to start paying more for, and let's just say, and I don't know exactly how many products you buy are going to be affected, but essentially at, when we get to this $200 billion after the $50 billion, we're, we're about at half of all imports from China now. You know, we're closing in on the $250 billion would put, put us pretty close to half of everything that comes from China. So I would venture to say most of that is in the supply chain somewhere. Right? Because remember, we're not just talking about finished goods. Right, we're talking about raw materials. Right, we're talking about uh, not just steel and 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 uh, you know copper and all the other different types of industrial commodities that that go into whether it be right tin cans or automobiles or or some type of a component that goes into aircraft or maybe it goes into making well like cell phones and all of those other things that is going to have an impact on how much we pay for stuff. And again, remember, we have been saying this here. Well, I know Eric was saying it before I ever started working here. Right? Number one, we're going to want it back. Right? We're at that point now. And number two, everything's got to get a lot more expensive. And and this is kind of what we're talking about. I guess here's the problem for Wilbur Ross and his argument. If you've got to pay more for, and let's just say that it only makes up, I don't know, uh, 10%, 5% of what you buy in a month. 
Okay, so in other words, 5% of the products you buy are going to be affected uh, by the, these tariffs. Like, and I'm thinking like bottles of shampoo, razor blades, deodorant, right? I'm, I'm almost, you know, I, I don't know where all of these components come from, but I had a pretty good guess. A bunch of it probably comes from China, somehow, some way, right? And you start going across things, cardboard, you know, all that stuff. If you've got to start paying more of your income for those items, it just means you got less for other items, which, of course, in turn means what, right? That the the slowdown of the economy quickens, uh, and, and, and you have this issue. But neither here nor there. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, I'm still, uh, every day I'm fascinated, right? But one of the things as we as we're watching and we we've been following the Chinese currency or we've been following the renminbi and we know uh, that it's at multi-year lows today it hit another low again uh, getting ready to breach uh, seven you know we got down it was almost got all the way down almost to six renminbis to the dollar now we're at like six point eight four six point eight five, something like that, almost seven to the dollar, uh, which is a huge move. And and a lot of people speculating that it could uh, breach seven and start heading back up to, to eight. So I wanted to see about their oil contract, right? Because remember, we've made a big deal. They, they became a reserve currency, right? We gave them that honor. I bet we regret that now, don't we? And one of the first things that they've done as far as increasing the use of their currency in the world, in other words, here's our way of starting to eat into the dominance of the U.S. dollar. And they started with the oil's futures contract. And and I've told you guys before, right, oil is, the largest of all the commodities. In other words, it's more traded uh, than any other commodity. It's the biggest thing. So they didn't go after the smallest thing first, right? They went after the biggest thing. And my my assumption was simple. Hey, China's devaluing their currency. I bet you that's making a bunch of people nervous. And and I would imagine that it would be affecting the amount of oil contracts that they're, that they're selling. So I went, and, and, and I, I looked it up, and someone, and of course, I didn't do this. Uh, someone did the offer, or, or the, the research for me. Rory Hall was his name. He is the guy that, that did the research on what the petrodollar and the, of course, the Chinese dollar is doing to oil futures contracts. So here's what he found out. The oil contracts priced in yuan, renminbi yuan, whatever one you want to use, is growing in such a way that by the end of the year, the contract will present a real challenge to the petrodollar. China's newly launched crude oil futures contract on the Shanghai exchange 
saw its trading volume surge to record high in June and then again in July. So as this whole thing is going on, the contracts are they're actually gaining momentum. They said the volume for the front month contract. Now, the front month contract that they're talking about is a September delivery contract. It said that it recorded 275,000 lots last Friday, the highest total since it began trading on March 26th. Seven times the volume of the first day of trading. The first day it opened in March, they did 40,000. Last Friday, 275,000. I'll tell you where that puts them when we return. 800-951-0592, talking about, you know, where is the money going to go? Right, and, we, and when we know the amount of dollars needed to buy this debt, and we keep talking about who's going to buy the debt, and one of the, the, the things that the United States has always had is the fact that in order for the rest of the world to buy the commodities that they need, they had to hold dollars. You know, one of the things, you know, you look at Russia, right? Russia dumped what, 90%, 85% of all their treasuries. They kept a little bit because obviously uh, there's certain things that they still have to use dollars for, right? Not all, you can't, right? As it sits right now, you can't buy everything without owning some dollars. But looking at China's oil contract, and of course, my thinking is pretty simple, right? This is just the beginning. And I really thought, okay, well, volumes are probably slowing down. People are a little nervous, and uh, and and they're pulling away from the the Chinese contracts and buying it, you know, just buy dollar contracts, right? I mean, that's what I would. That's what I thought was happening. Apparently, the exact opposite is happening. Not only did they hit a record trading volume, just so you know, every lot is a thousand barrels of oil. Now, uh, you have a buy lot and a sell lot. So, uh, if you take that two hundred seventy-five thousand contracts, you cut it in half because half of them were buyers, the other half was the seller. That was still a hundred and thirty-seven million barrels of crude oil traded on paper in a single day. And you think, I mean, it's incredible, you know, the the amount, of course, you know, they don't, the world doesn't produce, I don't, well, I don't know exactly how much, but I don't even know if they produce 137. I know, like, we do, what, 10, 11 million barrels a day. Uh, the Russians do about the same. The Saudis do about the same. That's like 30 million. I don't, yeah, I'm positive. We don't, the world doesn't even produce that many barrels in a day. Uh, but but that just shows you uh, the amount of interest that is in there. According to Platts, and Platts tracks volume, 
They said that the trading volumes have been rising steadily since the launch on March 26th. They said the daily volume was 69,000 lots in April, 170,000 lots in May, and while they haven't totaled the June ones yet, they're saying that it looks like another serious jump on top of the May numbers has occurred in June. And while the market is still in the early stages, right, it's only been, think about it, it's only been open like four months. It already appears that it will be the second largest exchange for oil uh, by the end of the summer. Of course, the only ones bigger are Brent and WTI. Uh, the, the trading volume that happens there uh, is about 2.6 million contracts. So China hit a record of, of uh, you know, 100 and what, what did we say, or 275,000 lots. Uh, 2.6 is what we do uh, in Brent and WTI, but you can see how quickly it's adding up. And and eventually, right, so where where are the contracts going to come out of, right? They're going to come out of the Brent. They're going to come out of the WTI. Uh, and, and, and as we watch all of these things trade and, and look at the, the relationship here, it doesn't appear that the rest of the world is seemingly too concerned about China and their currency. And I just thought that was something, you know what, I wanted, I saw it, I, I, and, and I, was, I was thinking that the opposite was going to be, and this just kind of tells you the situation that we're in. Right? I think a lot of people out there are, are, are uh, getting ready uh, to, to do exactly what they feel that they're going to need to do to protect themselves. Listen, they're going to do what's in the, their country's best interest. Right, that just makes sense. And you start looking at the United States and you start seeing, you know, every 90 days, 60 days, 30 days, the Treasury comes out and makes a new announcement about more bond sales and we got to add new, new securities and we got to add to the volume of existing securities. And then you start looking at all the forecasts, right? You, what did we have just this in the last couple of weeks? We had the CBO come out with an update. Oh, yeah, you know the numbers we told you three months ago? Yeah, forget about those. Right? They throw those out the window. Uh, that, that, was, that was way too low. They're going to be a lot higher. You know, you, you had uh, Social Security Trust Fund. Right? It wasn't supposed to go, quote, unquote, negative until 2022. Three months ago, not even, what, what, about six weeks ago, they came out and said, uh, you know what, we meant, did we say 2022? You know what, uh, we meant right now. Right, going to go negative right now, 2018. Again, there's no trust fund to begin with, so, it, you know, it's just added to the debt either way. Then we had the Office of Management and Budget come out and say, you the forecast that we issued 90 days ago, yeah, throw that out. Right? And they're all throwing them out and doing what? Are they saying that, that it's going to be less? No, they're all coming out and saying, hey, listen, we need even more debt. Uh, which is obviously continuing to give 
uh, a lot of other countries, uh, at least the thought of, you know what, we need to diversify a little bit. And, you know, here at home, we talk about why do you own gold? Why do you own silver? Right? It's really simple. You own it to protect yourself against the dollar. Right? We don't want it to go down. But, you know, just in case it does, we need to be ready. Patriot Radio News Hour, final segment coming up. 800-951-0592. Take the time. Put them away. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't, I don't have a special that I'm going to do on the air. But what I'm going to tell you is, call me. I've got a few things. They're right here, live in stock, and I'll give you a great deal. You'll save big, big time over our competitors. Give us a call. Uh, wait for me to get off the air, and that way, because Arlene doesn't even know what I've got back there. Wait for me to get off the air, and, and I'll help you. Eight hundred nine five one zero five nine two. China has issued a response now in light of the news from President Trump this morning. China is fully prepared, and we will have to retaliate to defend the nation's dignity and the interest of the Chinese people, defend free trade and the multilateral, excuse me, the multilateral system and defend the common interest of all countries. The statement issued by the Chinese Minister of Commerce, the carrot and the stick tactic won't work. Uh, That was their official response. In the past six months, China has allowed its currency to depreciate. It's depreciated by well, now today, by 9%, uh, if you're going to apply a 10% tariff, well, uh, here's the problem, of course, now the, the tariff's now 25%. So, I don't know, I guess we raised the guy. I guess, you know what, the president said, hey, listen, if we're going to go 10, and then you just depreciated your currency essentially 10, well, that's no good. So now, now he's looking at 25. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting that the... Uh, the Chinese ministry saying that they're going to retaliate. I don't know how. I don't know what. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. But as it sits right now, uh, there are no scheduled talks. So we a few days ago, we thought there was going to be. Apparently, there are no scheduled talks uh, between China and the United States as it sits right now. Uh, the stock market is, well, actually, the stock market's come back a little bit. The NASDAQ is up. Apple's hit a trillion dollars. Uh, and here's what was so funny. And Apple's earnings, they were okay. But they actually sold less iPhones. But the price, what, what did them, what they did really well is they sold the, a lot of expensive ones. So actually, the iPhone volume's down. But the fact of the matter is, at a thousand bucks a pop, and I guess you know, I don't know if they're going to be part of of the tariff or not. Uh, but that one, that one could be getting more expensive. Uh, Apple hits a trillion dollars uh, in market cap. They are the very first company uh, to to hit it. Uh, their stock hit two hundred and seven dollars and five shares, uh, five cents a share. That that allowed it to get to the trillion number. 
Uh, Apple, by the way, in case you wanted to know, has four billion eight hundred twenty-nine million nine hundred twenty-six thousand uh, shares outstanding. <laughs> Just you know, I you know, they, uh, in case you want, I did not realize that they had uh, almost five billion shares outstanding. So there you go. Uh, Apple's hit a trillion dollars. Apparently, uh, people aren't worried that they're going to have to pay a little more for their iPhone. Painter Radio News Hour. We got fake news Friday tomorrow. Don't miss it.